Welcome back to Key Messianic Prophecies, a podcast brought to you by Telios, a private 501c3 nonprofit foundation dedicated to the research and accurate teaching of the Bible founded by Bill and Jeanette Stewart. On this episode, we will be looking at the Davidic Covenant. Now, having come through the Bible's narrative up to this point, uh, we find that the children of Israel are now established in the Promised Land, and they have begun demanding a king. So God gives them Saul, who is replaced by his son-in-law, a figure named uh, David. Now, most of us have heard of David. We know the story of his defeat of the Philistine, Goliath, uh, and though less noble, we probably know of his terrible affair with the woman called Bathsheba uh, and his being complicit in the death of her husband. Yet the role that David plays in Messianic prophecy is arguably his most important. See, in 2 Samuel 7, we read about God making a covenant with David as he had done with Noah, Abraham, and Moses uh, in the past. And this covenant is made via the prophet Nathan. Uh, So we see that God is now using prophets to speak on his behalf. And through Nathan, God delivers this prophecy regarding David. When your days are finished and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And that is 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 13. Now, the entirety of the prophecy delivered is much longer than this. Uh, Again, it's, it's in 2 Samuel 7. But the two verses that I've just read capture the general thrust of Nathan's words, what they mean for Messianic prophecy. In short, God, through Nathan, tells David that he is going to have a descendant who, like him, God himself is going to raise up at some point in the future. And through this descendant, the Lord is going to establish a kingdom that lasts forever. That Messiah will come from the house of David, the royal house of Israel. He will have a a kingdom established on earth that lasts forever. He will take the Davidic throne. Now, because we've been going through the Bible story looking for indicators of who, way back in Genesis 3.15, God said was going to come and defeat the serpent and succeed in ruling where Adam had failed. The information contained within the Davidic covenant regarding who this messianic figure is going to turn out to be is then hugely important. Uh, I mean, up to this point, we've... Uh, known that this individual would come through Israel, but this new information shed so much light on this figure's eventual identity. And lo and behold, when we get to the New Testament, we find that the Gospel writer Matthew in particular is very concerned with connecting Jesus' messianic image to the Davidic covenant. We see in Matthew's genealogy of Christ that Jesus traces his line back through David. We also see that the people who witnessed Christ's entry into Jerusalem in Matthew 21 are calling him the son of David. And when the chief priests and the scribes hear this, uh, they go ballistic because they understand exactly what it meant and exactly what it means uh, for Christ to be the son of David, that he and this long-awaited Davidic ruler are actually one and the same. 
But if we know the Bible story, we also know that Jesus, though shown to be this Davidic ruler, never in history institutes this kingdom or sits on the Davidic throne. In fact, what happens is that these priests and scribes conspire to have him killed. And when the people are given the chance to free him, they choose to free another <laughs> rather than him. And, and he's killed. But then something really interesting happens. He returns from the dead and he chooses his closest friends to then carry this message we call the gospel to all the world, including the Gentiles, who up to that point had no chance of knowing God unless they joined up with Israel and the Jewish national and religious identity. In other words, the Gentile had to essentially become Jewish in order to access the tabernacle or the temple. But with Christ, this Davidic messianic figure, the game changes. The Gentiles come into the fold by way of faith. And Christ leaves his disciples with this mission, but also with a promise that he is one day going to return. And through the Apostle John, we get a glimpse of what that looks like in the book of Revelation, which, for all the fear that we often believe the last book of the Bible stirs up, for the Christian, Revelation is the most profound and awe-inspiring text you'll ever read, because it represents the culmination of all of these promises that have been building from as early as Genesis. We see the defeat of the serpent. We see the establishing of that eternal kingdom. We finally see Jesus ruling from Jerusalem and sitting on the Davidic throne. In these ways, we know from the Davidic covenant that the story of the Bible is not over, historically and temporally speaking. We have yet to see Jesus take the throne. We have yet to see the establishing of the kingdom here on earth. And so much of Christian theology is spent figuring out where we as the church fit into this. In fact, Paul knows. Paul, the Apostle Paul, even knows that the church is an immensely fascinating wrinkle in this plan of God. And he deals with that very explicitly in the book of Ephesians, wherein he calls the church a mystery hidden by God, revealed so that the Gentiles might also graciously be saved by God's wrath through faith. So the Davidic covenant is a hugely important piece of the puzzle, uh, so to speak. It gives us our best look yet at this coming messianic figure and how messianic prophecy is actually going to play out as the narrative rolls along. So thank you for joining us uh, for this episode of Key Messianic Prophecies. On the next episode, we will be jumping genres a bit to look at messianic prophecy in the Psalms. <laughs>